Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Rumble Strip. I'm Mike Knapp, and I'd like to officially welcome you to the month of August. This month officially kicks off today with practice for the August 23rd Indianapolis 500. And to celebrate, I'm thrilled to share with you an interview I did with two-time 500 winner, Al Unser Jr. Beyond St. Al Unser Jr., do I really need to proceed with any further introductions? Nope, so I won't. So here we go, Al Unser Jr. Welcome back, everyone. I'm very happy, to say the least, since he was still one of my uh, racing heroes, but I'm very happy to welcome two-time Indy 500 winner and two-time IndyCar champion, Al Unser Jr., to the show. Al, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having us, Mike. So it's been a weird year so far, to say the least. So just uh, get us up to speed. What have you been doing the last few months? <laughs> well, uh pretty much locked down. Uh-huh. Uh, haven't been doing a lot, you know, with this COVID thing going on. Just uh, just trying to uh, be safe and stay healthy and uh, and that sort of thing, you know, where trying to figure out what my favorite mask is and, uh, <laughs> and I put it on when I go to the grocery store and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Just uh, hanging in there, like I like the rest of us. What uh, what was May like though, with uh, nothing going on in Indy for the first time in uh, in your lifetime, certainly to say the least. I mean, obviously it's been the first time in seventy five years, but uh, for somebody who Indy is part of your lifeblood, what was it like to not have the race in in uh, or in May? Well, um, you know, I, I guess. The real crazy time was, you know, March, April, May, uh, being shut down with COVID. I think that was really unprecedented through, throughout the world, you know. Uh, as far as the 500, you know, when, when truly when, uh, when the IRL was formed, the cards had their split, you know, uh, missing the race back in, uh, 95, and then the, the, the split happened, and so 96, 97, 98, 99, we didn't come to the 500. That was that was devastating, mm-hmm. you know, to say the least. And so uh, then, you know, my last 500 that I actually raced in was in 2007. And so, you know, I get retired. Uh, I've gotten used to... Uh, and not competing at the Indy 500. Uh, however, you know, we, we've always watched it on TV and so on, and, and you know, that was abnormal, the fact that, uh, uh, that the 500 didn't run. But again, it was because of the total crazy times, unprecedented times of the COVID virus that, uh, but he really shut down the whole world. And, of course, now we're uh, a month away from, um, you know, August 23rd. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts about uh, the race and the schedule and, and just trying to squeeze it in there in a, in a couple of weeks in August? Uh, is it is it good for, for, you know, you as an Indy 500 champion to say, hey, let's run it? Because, you know, to just have a, have an open line for 2020 would just be just be so weird. Are you, are you glad that they're getting it done next month? I'm super happy about it. I'm super happy, you know, and I'm also praying at the same time that uh, that we don't have an upswing and uh, anything here in Indiana. 
you know, with, with COVID. And, and so uh, I'm praying that, that it happens and uh, and looking forward to it, you know. Uh, the Indy 500 is an event, and so it's more than just a race. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully uh, we're going to get it in. And, you know, the best, the best person in the world is at the helm of IMS now with Roger Pinsky being in charge. Uh, it, it truly couldn't have happened at a better time for, for Roger to be in control of things. Well, and that, that was my next question, actually, was, uh, you know, you have a, a long-standing relationship with with Roger. And first of all, how excited were you to find out he was buying IMS and IndyCar, and then um, just maybe from what you've heard of some of the improvements he's made and everything, what are your what are your impressions of that? Um, I know that it is going to be a shiny jewel that it never had been before with Roger uh, at the helm, and, and so uh, it's just going to be great. I, I just. And this is only the beginning, you know. He's only had it for, for a very short time. Mm-hmm. And the improvements he's already made have been tremendous, you know, with with the fans in mind. And that's what Roger, Roger knows. Roger knows that uh, without the fans, there is no racing. And he knows that better than anyone. So uh, I think as time goes on, the IMS property is just going to get better and better and better uh, for the fans that come and uh, and watch the races. So, of course, your family has a legacy at Indy that goes back to uh, the 1950s. You were born in 1962. When did it start to really become an integral part of your life? When my dad won the race in 1970. <laughs> really? Okay. I was, absolutely. I was eight years old, and uh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and and they had it on closed circuit TV at that time, which meant we went to the Civic Auditorium, and it was on this great big screen in, in, uh, in uh, the auditorium, and, uh, you know, my sisters and I, we were on the front row, and the Johnny Lightning car was just so big and beautiful, and mm-hmm. Dad went in the race. And, and ever since that that moment, I have been uh, wanting to uh, go to Indy and compete. Usually, that's that was one question I was going to ask about when you were growing up. Did you spend a lot of time uh, at your at the speedway, or was it mostly just uh, your dad here for the month of May, and and you caught what you could, like you said, on closed circuit TV or watch the race? Yeah, when I when when my sisters and I were young, uh, we would come back during the summer, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and be a part of Dad's racing during the summer when we were in school. Uh, we didn't, we as children didn't come back to the five hundred until we were uh, a little bit older, and and at that time, by the time we were old enough to really come back to the race, uh, I was racing go karts and. And I had a choice. Either I could go watch Dad race or I could race. And I chose the latter. I wanted <laughs> to race. So, you know, every you can watch Dad race anytime. I, I want to race. So, uh, so, yeah, that's how that ended up being. My, my very first 500 I was at Rack was in 1973. 
And then uh, the next Indy 500 I was at was 1982 because I knew I was coming back as a race as a driver in 83. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to watch the race and be a part of it in 82. And, and, uh, and yeah, and then we came back a year after that. Yeah. So once you reached that point in 82, and, and, and of course you had long decided this was what you were going to do, um, you know, with your life, what did it, you know, you were what, 20 at the time when, when uh, just that close to driving at, at Indy, what did, what did you really specifically in 82 try to take in while you were there that month, knowing, like you said, that you were going to come back the next year? Just really just being with dad and, and you know, uh, watching what he did and, and watching what the crews did and the pit stops and, and all that kind of stuff and just tried to soak in everything I could. Honestly, when I came back as a driver, everything changed anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I was out on the drag and all that. So, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, the 500, is, is, to me, it's everything. It's life. And, and uh, so once I started racing, it was, it was a dream come true. Well, and in 83, you found yourself, you didn't have just that, that kind of quiet rookie month. You found yourself right in the mix uh, down the stretch with, with your dad and uh, yourself and Tom Sneva. What do you recall about uh, about those moments out there when uh, when you when <laughs> you three were together so much on the track? Well, about the moment especially being a rookie driver and and somebody that I that I had already really grown to like as a driver I just love that that you just made no excuses for the fact yeah I was blocking for my dad so what I, I just really like that uh, that confidence and that attitude and what you were willing to do for for uh, your dad out on the track that day yeah it was uh we were wanting him to win if I couldn't win it then I wanted dad to and uh you really got going a couple years later, especially that stretch from 86 to 94. Um, you won twice. You're in the top five, seven times. Wh when was it that you developed the, the confidence or the belief that you were going to someday win the race? I think it all came to fruition was uh, 89. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we did everything right as a team. Uh, I did everything right driving, uh, you know, and for whatever reason, you know, we didn't win the race. But it, it was out of our control, in other words. You know, yeah, we, yeah. Right there at the end and, you know, going for the win. And Emerson and I got together and that was, that was racing, you know. And so... Um, it was really that day that, that I really felt that uh, 
okay, we really can do this, you know. So we just need to keep keep persevering and keep doing what we're doing, and uh, hopefully it will eventually come, which it did in '92. Now, '89, of course, is a is a race that gets relived in the highlights every year. Take me inside the helmet, you know, down on those final laps. I mean, I was there, and, I mean, there was so much chaos, you know, around you in terms of the fans and the, the you know, and, of course, it was crazy on TV, too, with all of that. But what were – did you feel pretty peaceful in the car while that was all going on? What was your thought process there? Uh, no. <laughs> I would – I would lead the race for the first time all day, and, and uh, I had a car to do it, to lead the race, but I didn't want to show my hand until the end when it mattered, and, and so that's what we did, and uh, and I was going along, and, you know, I've got Emerson instead of Paul, the former one world champion, chasing me, and no, I was, I was uh, doing everything I could to stay in front of him, and, and you know, there was no calmness about it. I was doing everything I could. And, and unfortunately, what happened was we came on lap traffic. That wrecked my momentum. That mm-hmm. allowed him to get beside me, going down the back stretch. And, and uh, you know, you've got two, two drivers that are wanting to win the Indy 500 more than anything. And, uh, and we went in side by side in the turn three and there was only room for one to come out and it was never yeah and of course i saw the crash and your car pretty much came to a stop right in front of where i was sitting uh, you know and of course we all know what happened there uh you know and, and we cheered you when you when you uh you know clapped for emerson when you came by because we didn't know what was what was really going on but sure. um just sure. tell me the story about what you know i know i've heard you tell that story before, but uh, tell me just what your thought process was on climbing out of the car. Well, uh, of course, I was upset, you know. Uh, I just lost the Indy 500. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I started to head out to the track because I felt Emerson uh, uh, could have done a better job at not hitting me, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're in the moment. You know, I mean, you're in the moment, and and, uh, and I had I started to head out to the track, and I had one of the safety crew guys, you know, stop me and, and ask me where I was going, you know, and uh, and I said, well, I'm going out there, and he goes, what, you, you want to flip him off? I went, yeah, <laughs> and he stepped aside and said, go right ahead. And, you know, I think really he was just checking to make sure that I wasn't turned around that, that, that you know that I was really there mm-hmm. you know and knowing what I was doing and that's all he was doing and so so he said go right in so I went out there and, and you know there was a few seconds that uh, I was waiting for Emerson to come around the corner with every intention of flipping him off you know? <laughs> and I just noticed what I was all of a sudden you know, I'm at the Indy 500. I've got millions of people watching me. Uh, call it a moment of clarity, you know, that I had. I thought about, you know, Emerson led the thing all day long. He's coming around to win his first 500, 
which I was doing the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know why, but I just decided to congratulate him. So, yeah. yeah. That's what happened. Three years later, then you were in another battle, this time with, with Scott Goodyear. Did you take anything from that 89 experience into that into that battle over the final laps in 92? Of course, yes. <laughs> and that was no lap traffic. Uh-huh. <laughs> no lap traffic. I came off of, you know, every lap we made, I would come off turn two and look down the straightaway and just hope for no cars. Yeah. Because you know, that's... That's truly what cost me a race in 89. And so, you know, God saw it that I didn't come across any traffic that year. So, by the way, that question was uh, was from my brother, Tim, who's a big Indy 500 fan as well. So, but... Um, Don't worry. But once you once you finally, 10 years of trying, I mean, you know, it took a while to win that first race. Once you felt the bricks under your car, I mean... For that last time, what what was the first thing that came into your mind? Uh, relief. Yeah. Just, just relief, you know. Just that, you know, it's it's a dream. It's a dream just to race at the Indy 500. It's a dream just to drive a, a, an Indy car on the track. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's a dream to qualify for the race, and then it's a dream come true to race in the race okay so all of that happened 10 years earlier uh-huh. and then you know then the dream came to win the race and it never seemed to come and i got super close in in 89 but it, it didn't happen but you know uh we were just we were just we were doing the right things you know and so on and so mm-hmm. we just needed to keep our head down and doing what we were doing and, uh, and you know god willing we would win it someday and that's what happened i think a lot of people really enjoy the racing that that's um happened the last eight to ten years at indy and and i'm one of them as well but i really of course living in indy at the time in the in the early 90s and stuff i have such an appreciation for that five or six year stretch where the competition level was just so massive and so intense and you know, so the Indy 500 was truly a global race with some of the best drivers in the world in it. What, what's it like for you to look back and say, yeah, I was a part of that? I, I kind of look back at it, Mike, and, you know, that, that was the, the, the heyday of IndyCar racing. You know, we were the most popular series in the United States, all that kind of stuff. And, and those were the heydays. And, and so I was very fortunate to be a part of it. You know, uh, but, you know, uh, race is, it, it's just as hard to win today as it was in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. I mean, it's, it's just as hard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the Indy 500. And, and to come here and be successful, you have to have everything go your way. You have to be prepared. And you have to work hard, and you have to have luck, and all that stuff. Right. Uh, you know, today, to, really, the way I see it right now is today, the, the formula is different. Okay, so the drivers, you know, 
their drafting and all that kind of stuff. They, they run in packs, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a different formula. You have to think about it in a different way to be successful at it. And, and so that's all, you know? Yeah. Like, like in the 90s, we had to think about it different than they did in the 70s. Right. You know, and, it, and that was all, you know? It, it still took hard work, preparation, desire, sacrifice, all those things, it just was, you just did it in a, just a different way. It mm-hmm. didn't make it any harder or easier. It just was a different way. And so that's kind of the way I see it today, that, that you know, the, the pack racing that they do at Indy, uh, it, uh, it makes a good show. You know, you don't mm-hmm. know who's going to win it until they cross the finish line. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's what racing is all about, that drama of, of, of that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's still, you know, the Indy 500 uh, of forever. Who are, who are a couple of guys that are racing now that, that you really like to, especially watch them race at Indianapolis, but who are guy, a couple of guys that you uh, really enjoy watching race right now? I like quite a few of them, you know. My favorite is Scott Dixon. Okay. I I like winners, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. uh, You know, uh, he's rewriting the record book as far as drivers are concerned with. He's, you know, doing all of that. I like Will Power just out there and qualifies that thing. So he's putting new records down for qualifying. For most polls, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, there's a lot of them. I mean, I like Joseph Newgarden. I like, as far as the rookies are concerned with, I like Colton Herta. You know, he he's a, a phenomenal driver, mm-hmm. and then you know, Otto Award, Oliver Askew. You know, the new blood that's coming into it. I think that's fantastic. Um, you know, it's. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I really like that, that have a real shot at winning the 500 any given year for the next mm-hmm. five or ten years. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned Joseph Newgarden. You ended up joining Team Penske in 1994. Um, uh, I know both your dad and your uncle drove for, for Roger. Was driving for him always a goal of yours? Absolutely. It's a goal for every driver <laughs> in America uh-huh. to get a phone call from Roger is, is the ultimate, just hands down. That's, that's the way it is. So, yeah, you, you go back in those days and everything was done over the telephone. Um, what, what was that day or what was that experience like when Roger gave you the call and said, hey, you know. It was super. <laughs> it was super. As a matter of fact, I was in negotiations with another team and Roger gave me the call and that, that you know, I went, yes, sir. Yes, you. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that totally shut down any negotiations I had with the other team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I figured out what I'm, what I'm doing next. So uh, a lot of the focus, which we'll get to in 1994, was the, the beast engine and what happened at Indy. But I think what gets, you know, left out there is that you had the best season of your career in 94 with, uh, you know, you won eight times. You won five out of six races. 
um, and and the championship and the 500. I mean, how did all those pieces come together the way they did in 1994? I'm, I I can't explain it. You know, <laughs> uh, we just had Lady Rock as a big part of racing, and uh, you know, we had a great car, we had a great team, and you know, my teammates Emerson Fittipaldi and Paul Tracy, they were both very talented guys, and and quite honestly, it just, the way the races fell, they just kind of fell my direction, my way, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, you know, when you've got great drivers like that as teammates, it could have easily gone their way. Right. And so, uh, we were just real fortunate to, uh, to be a part of it, yeah. You sort of had a, a generational thing there with Penske. I mean, you had... Uh, you know, Emma was in his 40s, you were in your early 30s, you know, Paul was was really young. What was that dynamic like between the three of you, both on and off the track? It was great. We all worked uh, pretty well together, you know. Uh, I honestly think that Emerson and I worked better than, uh, than working with Paul. Paul was kind of a... a, a trying to find the right word for him. And, uh, <laughs> he, he was out on his own. He didn't, you know, he was doing his own thing and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, uh, but, you know, Emerson and I really worked well together. And, and I think that's why, you know, in 95, uh, Paul went to another team and, and Roger kept Emerson and I because we well, and when you finally started to work with Emerson, you know, you, you talk about going back to 89 and you're like, oh my gosh, a two-time world champion. And, this, you know, then at that point, he was a two-time indie winner to go along with that. I mean, was uh, was there still any time you, you maybe, even though you had accomplished so much, were there a couple of times where you might have looked across the table at Emo and gone like, you know, holy crap, that's Emerson Fittipaldi. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, you respect him, but you know he's uh, he's a man just just like uh, my father or Uncle Bobby or Mario and and uh, and Floyd and so on. And so uh, you know, you uh, he, he was a good friend and still is a good friend today. So, of all the guys that you raced, of course, you you know talk about uh, your dad and Mario and and a lot of uh, other people. Um, how cool is it to be part of that, you know, generational thing of, of being able to race against some of the, you know, it may have been towards the tail end of their career, but some of the greatest names in open wheel racing. Of, of all time. And, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, I was truly blessed to be born when I was born. And when I came through, I think, uh, you know, Michael Andretti was, the same thing that, that, that you know when we were when we were in the prime of our careers you know you had those greatest of all time finishing out their careers and and it was an honor to be on the same racetrack with them so uh, you know it's it's uh, we were just very fortunate to to be in that generation yeah. So, of course, you know, Beast is a big part of what happened at Indy in 1994, and I've read uh, Jay Gers' book. And um, But your part of it, what, what was your role in the, in the development of that? 
trying to make it live in Michigan. <laughs> I mean, that was, and, and all three drivers were, were you know, in the same role. We, we, uh, we needed that car to, uh, to be reliable, especially that engine. And so, you know, we were always testing it. And if I wasn't testing it, Emerson and, and, and Paul, we all were putting in the effort to, uh, to make it uh, reliable. And, and fortunately, uh, we finally ran 500 miles opening day of practice at Indy. Uh-huh. Emerson and Paul were at Indy, and I was at Michigan running that test, and it finally completed 500 miles, and that was, that was awesome. <laughs> then, then we knew we really had so, so what is a 500 mile test like when you're when you're out there all by yourself? Uh, it's pretty boring, <laughs> but when you're running 230 mile an hour, nothing's boring. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, even Roger was, was at the test with me on opening day. You know, we were really that 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 car to uh, that engine to complete 500 miles. So after that point, was there any anxiety on your part in terms of uh, how the car was going to hold up during the race? None. Absolutely none. You know, if, if uh, there's always that 50-cent washer that's going to go away. Of they, course. You know, that, that, that you don't know. And so, you know, you take that out of the equation. And if we could make it live in Michigan, then it was going to be really easy for it to live at, at Indy because at Michigan you pretty much run it wide open all the way around right. all day long at Indy you would be listening with traffic and stuff like that so the engine would get to breathe and so uh, if we could make it live in Michigan then it was going to be a, 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 it, it was going to be easier for it to run the 500 miles at Indy so so you eventually, I mean, qualified on the pole, led 48 laps that day. Um, Emo really had the race in hand with about 40 miles to go, uh, and then he, you know, and then he crashes. What? Uh, how did that change your your? I know, and I know, fuel saving was part of your uh, thought process then too. Um, but how did that just moment just, you know, how did you react to that in the car? Uh could have been, if you could have seen me, I would have went, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, because uh, I saw it in my mirror when he hit the fence, and, and he was our only competition all day long. And, and Emerson, honestly, he did a better job during practice and so on, getting his car working. Mm -hmm. And so, had he qualified on the date that I qualified, it would have been Emerson sitting on the pole and not me. That's kind of why I said what I said earlier about things just fell my way. You know, I had great mm -hmm. teammates, and, and it could have easily fell their way. For some reason during that year, things kind of fell my way. And, you know, qualifying at Indy and then race day at Indy, that's, the, that, that's what happened. Things just fell my way. So, you know, of course, as we as we said earlier, I mean, things beyond your control um, in the following years with all the politics of the sport happened. But you were you were 32 when you won your second 500 at that point in 1994. Did you think there were more to come after that? 
So, of course, you came back to Indy in 2000, made your last start in 2007. So, in total, you ran the race 19 times, won it twice, uh, seven top five finishes. You led a total of uh, 110 laps. Um, what's your legacy at Indy? The son of a winner. <laughs> you know, we're the, we're the, no matter what, we're the first ones to, to be a father-son combination to be successful with Indy, and, and uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I think that's going to be the legacy that hats off to my dad, and, uh, you know, for, for teaching me how to do it, and for him being successful, and so, you know, we're the first father-son to, uh, to do it. And you got to race with, you know, with and against your dad, and had some pretty good battles. You were on track when he won in uh in 87 and you talk about uh just being blessed about when you were born and when you came along uh that that's just part of it too isn't it that's right that's right so overall your family uh, you know are, are really the answers are the first family of indy i'd say i mean you guys uh you know won a total of of eight races together you and your dad and your uncle just uh how proud are you guys of that um it's hard to put into words you know, uh, I'm so proud of my uncle. I'm so proud of my dad. You know, I'm I'm, I'm proud of my uncle Jerry, who was the first youngster to to get to Indianapolis. And, mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, he he, he died at, at 59 with a with an accident in practice. And so, right. You know, there was a lot of success, but there was a lot of sacrifice also for my family. And so. Uh, I'm, I'm just lucky to be born where I was born. Yeah. That's pretty much all there is to it, you know. And uh, to have a father that I had, you know, dad was a, was a huge part of my success in racing. So you, you're the owner of two of the best duels in 500 history, and, of course, you own one of the best uh, lines ever said by, an, by a winner when in 92 you said, you don't know what Indy means. Um, 13 years after your last race here, 26 after your last win, what does Indy still mean to Alan Sir Jr.? Well, we kind of touched on it earlier. It's just, just life to me. You know, I, uh, I did a lot of racing to be a better driver at the Indy 500. That's all I'm concerned about. You know, I mm-hmm. went down to the 24 hours of Daytona, to be a better driver at Indy, I went to IROC and competed in IROC to be a better driver at Indy. And so I, you know, what was on my mind was just, you know, the more races I could do, the more experience I could have in even different types of racing, that would make me a better driver for the 500. And so, uh, you know, that kind of says it right there. It was, it was my life. And, and uh, that's all I wanted to do was, was race with the 500 and be successful. 
I think in the end, I, I think you're just like a lot of us, uh, you know, uh, us fans as far as uh, indie being our lives. And I think that was a, a connection um, that you made with fans. I think that was really something that was really prevalent and, and I thought was really, uh, really cool about your career and how, how it worked with the, with the fans. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I think the 500 is, is a personal thing to each and every one of us. And, and uh, it just simply put, it's a love that, that, uh, goes from generation to generation. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an event. Yeah. It's more than just the race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to, to, you know, time trials in the race with my dad my son's come to the race with me. It's uh, just like everything else. It's a it's a, a cool tradition that a lot of people have had for uh, a long time. And you, of course, were, were a big part of that. So I'm really, really glad uh, to have you on the show and get a chance to talk to you. Ellerson Jr., thanks for joining us. You betcha, Mike. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks again, Al, for joining us. And thanks to my friend John Comiskey for getting this interview set up. John helped me get my foot into the door of this crazy, crazy circus four years ago, and I'm forever grateful for his help and friendship. Enjoy opening day at the track. I know it's a little bit different this year, but cars are on track at IMS, so things can't get any better than that. Stay safe, everybody, and I'll see you at the track. <laughs>